Good morning, and welcome to Journey. I'm glad you're here. My name is Randy. If I haven't met you, it's good to have you with us. Uh, last week, we had a chance to go up and see our four-year-old granddaughter. That was pretty awesome, uh, and, but it's good to, good to be back today. Uh, you know, I, I was just thinking, um, I know I'm a plaid kind of guy, uh, shirt-wise. I like plaid. I don't know. Uh, but I put this on this morning, and it really has struck a note with many of you. Uh, you'd love my... A lot of you just made comments, love your shirt. Now, I don't get that real often. Um, if I'm not mistaken, though, this is also the shirt that I pulled a downy fabric sheet out of one morning as well in the middle of a sermon. So uh, I got a lot of great memories about this shirt. But thank you very much for loving my shirt this morning. Um, you know, uh, I, it's amazing how much social media has impacted our lives, and uh, not in a, always in a good way. Uh, uh, but it definitely has, many times in ways that we're not even aware of. And it's also given us a whole new vocabulary, uh, words that we never thought of before, um, now have a, you know, a common part of our, our everyday uh, vocabulary. For example, the word influencer. Uh, that's, I think that was a, a verb before, but now it's a noun, an influencer, uh, is someone who has the power to affect the purchasing decisions of other people because of their knowledge, their authority, their position or relationship with his or her audience. And it's also someone who has a following uh, in a distinct niche with whom he or she actively engages. So whether, no matter what it is, whether it's sports or beauty or health or humor or politics or virtually any field at all, you can find a video or uh, content of some way of talking about their opinions and their expertise. And this kind of fascinates me in a lot of ways because uh, it's amazing the power of influence. Uh, in fact, there are, uh, there are mega influencers with millions of followers around the world, not just in the U.S., but all over the, the world, literally. There are the micro-influencers, excuse me, macro-influencers right below them that have maybe hundreds of thousands of followers. There are micro-influencers that just regular people who might focus on a niche topic of some sort. They're what they call the nano-influencers who have a highly specialized field. You and I don't even know what those thing, fields are, but, but people who do, they, they, they know who to listen to. And, um, and then there are uh, bloggers and podcasters and YouTubers, and all of these people are just busy creating content day after day. Some of them are making a living at it, just having opinions, just ideas. In fact, uh, even in my world, the church world, there are influencers like this I mean, they're shooting emails every day, every day. Just like, finally, I'm like, I got to block this. I don't need to have all this input coming at me all the time. Now, why in the world are we living in an age where the influencers are so influential? And the reason is because somebody out there is following them. Someone is responding to them. People are following them day after day, and they're literally uh, being influenced by these people. And you know, some of these, uh, some of these influencers are celebrities. Sometimes th their name recognition's out there. Not, they're not even influencing about what they're known for, but a lot of them are just desperately trying to stay in the public's eye, trying to get by, trying to be relevant in our world today. But you know what? There are some people who genuinely care about other people, about making a difference, about changing people's life for the better and using their influence in a positive way. And you know, when it comes to some of these people, and the, the, the people that talked to my mind, first of all, were the Kardashians. You know, the, they're influencers with millions and millions of followers. I don't know what they ever did to become, you know, celebrities, but they are. We look at people like that with criticism, and sometimes they deserve that. But it might surprise you to know 
that God actually wants you to be an influencer. God wants you to be an influencer. Now, before you put yourself in the place with the Kardashians, we're not talking about that extreme. We're talking about in a positive way for a very, very good reason. But someone who lives a life of significance, a person whose presence is felt in the world and who makes a difference. And who down the road, someone's going to remember that you made a difference in their life. And all of us have people, maybe we never thought of them in that framework of who they are, but all of us have people in our life who made a difference, who influenced us, who poured into our life, who invested in us in a positive way and made us who we are today. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Last week, we started a series. Tony did a great job. I listened online about talking about happiness from the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about the uh, uh, Beatitudes and kind of laid out some really visual pictures of what of where the sermon was probably preached. If you haven't heard that, you ought to go back and hear it. But he's kind of started last week in talking about what happiness means, what it means to have uh, Christ in our lives and, and what ca- that can do for us. Today, we're going to talk about having that joy and that peace in us that we're able to give to other people around us. So last week was about, this is for me. Today, this is about, this is for others. I want to pour into others what I have experienced as a Christian. And I think this is significant, whether it's your children, uh, your friends, neighbors, whoever it may be, there are people in our lives that we can influence. And Jesus said, we need to be about that. So let's read together, Matthew chapter five. He says, you are the salt of the earth, But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underneath, underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven." Now, how do you become a person of influence? How do we become this person that Jesus said that we're to do? Well, Jesus said, you become the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, Jesus was really good about using imagery, about using ordinary things to explain his principles. And here's a great example of a couple of things that you and I interact with every day of our lives to some extent. And to see how Jesus uses them in a way to show how our lives should impact others. Let's start with salt. You know, in Jesus' day, salt was one of the most useful and most important elements that you could possess. Now, the same thing is true today, whether you realize it or not. It's so integrated into our culture that we don't think about the power of salt, but it really is. For example, we use salt to make leather, pottery, and and soap, and detergents and rubber and clothes and paper and cleaning uh, supplies, products, glass, plastic, pharmaceuticals. Oh, and it melts ice on the road and, we, and it flavors our food, right? We use it in really practical ways. In fact, almost all food has salt in it, uh, good for us or not, and, and whether we recognize that or not. But salt is so mundane, it's so ordinary that we don't even give it a second thought. We don't think about the power or the importance of salt, but if we did not have salt in our lives, we'd be in trouble, right? I mean, grab some fries sometime that haven't been salted and just, hey, I'm going to go back through the line again to get some salt because it makes such a huge difference in our food. But when Jesus was talking about salt, it was even more important than it would be in our world today because they were more aware of it. Salt had at least six purposes in Jesus' day. The first one, strangely enough, was for payment. Uh, it, it actually was used to pay people. The Roman soldiers usually got their payment in salt, and from that we get the word salary. 
That's where the word comes from. That's how they were paid because it was so important. Another purpose was fertilizing. It was used in moderation and, and, and put up on the soil and it would condition the soil. It would kill the weeds and increase yields. But on the other hand, it was also used thoroughly for destroying. Do you remember, in fact, I just read um, last, this past week, Lot's wife was turned to a pillar of salt when she looked back at the city of Sodom and Gomorrah when they were running away, when they were being destroyed. And so she was destroyed by being turned into a pillar of salt. But also conquerors would oftentimes sow the fields with a lot of salt, not just a little bit to fertilize it, but to a lot of salt to kill the crops and poison the soil for years. That was one way that they would destroy it. And in fact, the most common use or mention of salt in the Bible is for judgment or destruction. The fourth thing it was used for was sacrifice. When they would go in to offer their uh, sacrifices to God, they would use salt. It would season those uh, and, and then was used in the sacrifice process. The fifth way it was used was flavoring. We know today, salt adds flavor to bland foods. Foods It enhances the flavors that are already exist or it creates a contrast. Uh, salt, uh, sweet and salty is kind of a, a, a neat taste there. And then the sixth thing was to preserve. They would use it in that day to preserve. They didn't have refrigerators like we have today. And so uh, they would use salt to, uh, to cure things. And we today, uh, country ham is still cured by salt and other things are used in other salt. Salt is used in preserving other things. So when Jesus said that we should have a life that was like salt, he means that we would have a life in such a way that our very presence in the world, the fact that we are around acts like salt in positive ways, not in destroying, but in the two positive ways in flavoring and preserving. And you know what? This is what the church has da- done down through history. It's what Christians in the name of Christ have been able to do. I doubt if anyone realizes how influential the church has been down through history, how, he, how the church has shaped, how Christians has shaped the world today. Let me give you a few of the differences it's made. The church as a whole has stood against slavery and racism, has fought for women's rights, has fought for uh, orphan rights and widow rights, widow's care, for the care of, um, of, for the value of life, human life. The church has started schools, universities, and hospitals. The church has championed art, architecture, and science, medicine, prison reform, labor reform, philanthropy, and literally has changed the world. The church has started the great institutions of learning, many of which have turned away from God, but they were started. Harvard, Yale, all those were Christian universities to start with. The church has shaped and formed the world down through time by being salt in the world. And all of this has been done by people like you and I. People who have a God-given vision and calling to make a difference and be a positive influence, to just infiltrate the world and make a difference. Now, you probably think, well, you know, I look at all those things, starting a college and, you know, orphanages and all over the world. You know, I can't do those things. I don't really have the power to change the world or keep the world from decaying or or preserve the world or flavor the world. But the reality is that all of us can be salt and light. We all can. That's what we're commanded to do. You know, we see the historical impact of the church as a whole, and we think, wow, individual acts of ordinary people really aren't that important, are they? I mean, the church as a whole has done all these things, but really all these things are done by people like you and I. We might look at people like Billy Graham or Martin Luther, exceptional leaders, and think, well, I can't do anything great like that, but we're wrong because we all have the power and the ability to greatly influence the world. 
And that's why Jesus gave us the challenge to be salt. Let me give you, let me give you kind of an illustration of that. When you want to flavor something, your food, you don't drop a big chunk of rock salt in it, do you? You sprinkle these tiny little grains of salt. Almost you can't really see a grain of salt alone, but collectively, you know, we know it's together. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's white. We can give that, but you can't see the individual grains very much, but collectively they make a huge difference. And sometimes it's just a small thing that matters. It's those countless seemingly small acts by people like you and I, just sprinkling a little salt here and there that makes a cumulative difference. Collectively, that's where the impact is made in people's lives. True change takes place incrementally, not in the huge things that we think about and we see these great things that happen. That's wonderful. Some people are called to that, but all of us are called to small things. Let me give an example of that. In the 1990s, New York City was in the grip of one of the worst crime epidemics of their entire history in the 90s. Uh, But then suddenly, crime went into a dramatic decline, and murders dropped by two-thirds, felonies were cut in half. And most people kind of credit the drop to what was called, or what was defined as the broken window theory. And the broken window theory was developed by a couple of, of criminologists who began to investigate why crime happens. And they argued that crime is the result of disorder. For example, if a window is broken somewhere, and it's left unrepaired, then people will get used to seeing it, and they will assume that nobody cares, that nobody's in charge, and because of that, very quickly, more windows would be broken, sending a signal that, you know, nobody cares, anything goes, and that crime is contagious and starts and feeds on small things, like broken windows and graffiti and trash. And so they declared war on these little things, not the big things necessarily first, but the little things like turnstile jumping and the squeegee men at the stoplights that would, you know, hold people uh, ransom and uh, public drunkenness and littering, all those things they began to attack. And when they reduced the small things, soon crime began to fall in the entire city. It made a difference because small things soon become big things. They impact big things. And that's kind of what Jesus wants us to do. When we live like salt, it impacts the world around us. People around us take notice, and it changes them as well. You know, do you remember back in the 18, uh, excuse me, you wouldn't remember the 1800s, but the 1900s, some of us remember those, 1989, uh, then-President H.W. Bush, some of you can remember back then, he called this the thousand points of light. I never will forget that about his uh, administration. The thousand points of life, encouraging volunteerism and personal responsibility. And he said that it's acting in little ways that leads to big events, the big moments, the big opportunities. And while the little things add up cumulative over time and impact lives, they also can be used by God and become big things themselves. Little things can be multiplied and blessed by God, and they can become big things in themselves, but collectively, they all add up to change. But all of us have to be points of light. All of us have to do that, and sometimes we have to act courageously. Sometimes it's just mundane life. We're just living our life. We're just, you know, being salt, sprinkling around. Sometimes, though, we take a stand in a small way that then sparks something great. In 1955, there was a 42-year-old woman who got on a bus and sat down in the first seat that she came to. 
She was tired. She just sat down. As the bus began to fill with people, though, the driver told her that she had to get up and move to the back of the bus because she was black and the front seats were reserved for white people. And this woman's name was Rosa Parks. You probably heard of her. Now, Rosa Parks, wasn't, she wasn't an active. She wasn't a radical. She was just a quiet church-going woman who worked as a seamstress who was minding her own business, who just wanted to get home. She had never done anything like this in her life before, but she knew that being treated like a second-class citizen was wrong. And so she did a a small thing. In fact, she did nothing. She sat there. And the driver told her to move, and the passengers tried to make her move, and she wouldn't move. And soon they called the police. They took her to jail. But that quiet Christian woman ignited the civil rights movement that corrected one of the worst mistakes of our country's history. She was salt. She just, just gathered a little salt, and it led to a huge change. Now, most of us are not going to make and spark a movement like that in our life. Most of us are not going to do it, but we don't know that we don't. That we, uh, I'm sure she didn't intend to. You can be salt anywhere and everywhere. You can be salt in the checkout line at the grocery store. Just be a little salt. Sometimes when you're impatient, just be a little salt, a little, a little kindness there. You can be sought on social media with what you post. And and that's a temptation or how you respond to someone's post. You can be sought in your neighborhood, at work, uh, in fact, anywhere and everywhere. You can be sought. And many times your salt will become contagious, kind of like the the thousand points of life and kind of like the issue of crime in New York City. You can be sought and your salt impacts other people. You know, you probably heard of that um, uh, pay it forward chain at restaurants where you pay for somebody behind you and they pay with the food along the line. Uh, the record of that was in Brainerd, Minnesota, when a chain lasted two and a half days and included 900 cars. It'd be amazing. Two and a half days, everybody paid it forward. What about the loser at the end of the line? <laughs> I think about that person like, what? What are you thinking there? But you know what? It all began with one person being salt, just being salt right there. You know, Jesus has, also has called people to make a difference, also by being the light of the world, the second thing he talks about. Now, what does it mean to be a light? Whereas salt is about talk, taking a stand, light is about revealing what's, what's hidden. It's about showing the way to other people. Whereas salt is hidden, light is obvious. You don't see the work of salt, but you always see the work of light, right? Light comes on and changes things. Salt works secretly and light works openly. Salt is really about the direct influence of the gospel and light is more about the communication of the gospel. You say, well, I know I'm to be a light, but my light isn't very bright. You know what, I get that because some of us are kind of dim in some ways, but, but our light really is not our own, is it? It's not my light. I'm not generating the light. It's not coming from me at all. And in John chapter 8, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And the one who follows me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. So Jesus is the light. Therefore, we reflect the light that he gives. You know, this past week, I don't know if you noticed, but I think there was a full moon. I mean, it was beautiful. I was driving, I saw the moon and I thought, you know what, that's got such a bright light, but you, you know what, the moon doesn't have any light. I don't know if you know that or not. The moon, we're told, doesn't have any light of its own. It's just a big ball of dust, but it has the ability to reflect light. And it reflects the light of the sun in changing ways as, as time, uh, time goes on. 
And when the sun shines on it, it, it can shine brightly itself. And we're to be like that. We don't have any light of our own, but the sunlight of Christ shines on us and through us, and then we bring light, and then we actually transform into lights ourselves. But here's the thing, we can absorb as much light as we are willing. If your light is dim, it's because you have limited how much light Jesus is showing through you. There is no limit to what he wants to do in you. Only you could determine how much space he has to be light in your life. There are a couple of ways that, that believers bring light. First of all, believers expose darkness. That's what light does. When you flip a light on, it exposes what is hidden, doesn't it? When light enters a dark place, it exposes hidden things. We expose darkness by simply living a moral life. Why do people sometimes dislike us? Because our light exposes their darkness. But we also expose darkness by directly revealing and calling sin as it is. So if we see sin and we ignore sin or we condone sin, we're guilty not only of hiding our light, but the light of the world and the light of the Word of God. So instead of being a light in the darkness, we're becoming used to the darkness. That's the problem in our country today is we used to be a light. The church believers used to be a light. Now we're being very comfortable and accustomed to the darkness around us. And we're becoming, unfortunately, more like that if we're not careful. So we're to expose darkness. Secondly, believers give off light. In Ephesians chapter 5, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So light makes other things light. It reveals truth, and it gives off light. It gives off light itself. When we show the light of Christ, we actually spark light and life in other people, and we change environments. We change the culture. We change lives, literally. And you know what? You can do that by your presence in an office. You know, I've seen this happen one time in an office where the language was horrible and everything. A Christian just going in and just living a pure life with pure language and heart made a difference in the entire culture of the place. It can happen. Your light can impact others. And believers also help others grow in their light. We're called to be grow lights. You know, a grow light has the power to make other things grow, right? And we have that ability. Our light can encourage and build up other believers and point people to Jesus and change their language and their attitudes and their actions. In fact, that's one of the things that we really encourage older believers to mentor younger believers, to spend time with them, invest in them, and help them grow in their walk with the Lord. And the world needs more light because people are locked in darkness. The light is the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus came into the world to show us the way to live and to provide the means for us in order to be in the right relationship with God. Now that we all know that, that's a great thing to say, but really it's a choice that we're offered today. Are we going to live that and are we going to show and reveal that to others? And so I think that's why we have to be intentional in order to be salt and light. It takes time, energy, investment, sacrifice to be a light. It really does. And, and, you, and to spend time with people and invest in people is going to cost you something. Probably other things you'd rather be doing for yourself, but being a light, impacting others is a sacrifice. And you've been given the salt, you've been given the light, and only you can share it. And so the challenge here is not that the world has to get its act together, it's that we need to get our act together and we need to be who and what God intended for us to be. You know, Jesus goes on to say the contrast to using salt and light 
is that it can be lost. He says, if salt has lost its saltiness, it doesn't function like salt anymore. It's worthless. It doesn't have any value at all. You know, a lot of people kind of have the idea that the goal is to retain as much salt for themselves and in themselves, just gathering knowledge and information and and being holy themselves and kind of to withdraw from the world to make sure we don't get polluted and lose our saltiness. But we don't lose our saltiness by being around unsalted people. In fact, this is the opposite of what Jesus is saying. He's saying the way to lose our saltiness is to have no influence, to not use that, to hoard the salt. That's how we become, we lose our, our, our influence. Never interact with the decay of the world. So it's either that we use it or we lose it, one or the other. That's how salt uses, loses its saltiness when it just remains in the salt container, when it doesn't pour out, when it doesn't in, interact with others. You know, the Dead Sea, Tony talked last week about that area around there, and, and the Dead Sea is in the area located near Jordan in the Mideast. It's called the Dead Sea because nothing can live in it. It's a really good way to d- define it, right? It has such a heavy mineral content, including salt, that the water itself cannot support life of any kind. And it's salty because there's no outlet for the water. The water flows in, everything flows in, but it doesn't go out. It it doesn't have an outlet. And because of that, it stagnates and dies and nothing can live in it. You know, our bodies are like that as well. We have to emit salt. We, uh, we, if we don't give off salt through our perspiration, then we end up retaining water and we become bloated and causing a lot of other medical issues as well, maybe even including death. So we have to be salty so that we can give that salt to the world. It must flow into us and out of us. That's what keeps us fresh. We need to be light so that we can be light to other people. Christianity is all about a light that has been transformed itself through a relationship with Jesus Christ, and then that equips us to be able to give it away. So if you're an authentic Christ follower, if you're really living for Jesus, people are going to sense something different about you, and it's going to be attractive to them because it is flavorful like salt, and it's going to be light like light provides, and you're going to be different from the rest of the world. They should see it in your actions and your language and your friendships and in your parenting and your marriage, the way and the attitude that you work and do things, your decisions, your values. You're always spreading a little bit of salt. You're always sharing some light. And if your faith is real, it's going to be obvious. Another thing Jesus said, you don't light a candle and put it under a bowl. You know why? Because it'll go out. It'll stuff out if it's hidden under a bowl, and it doesn't make any difference. Jesus said you're to put your light on a stand that people are to see you so that provides light to the world. And in so doing, it doesn't bring glory to you but it brings glory to God. Our good deeds glorify the Father in heaven. That's who it's all about. That's who it's for. But here's the problem that we have in this. We all assume that somebody else is going to be the salt and somebody else is going to be the light. Oh, you know, somebody's, they're so much saltier than, they're so much brighter than I am. I just assume somebody else is going to do it. And that really is the problem. In fact, it's been identified as the bystander problem. Several years ago, 1964 was probably one of the the most tragic events in America, and it occurred in uh, New York City. A a young woman named Kitty Genovese, maybe you heard about Kitty, but she was stabbed to death, and that happens probably daily in New York. But in this case, it was unusual. It was no ordinary murder. She was uh, chased by her assailant in her own neighborhood. This wasn't in, you know, in downtown uh, 
you know, dangerous area. This is her neighborhood. Her assailant chased her and attacked her three separate times over the course of half an hour while 38 of her neighbors watched out the window while all this was happening. 38 knew what was going on and they just watched from their homes. During the entire ordeal, not a single person came to her aid. Nobody shouted for help. Nobody even bothered to call the police. They just watched as this woman was attacked and then murdered. Every person thought somebody else would do it. It's the bystander problem. In fact, as criminologists study this case, they conducted several experiments to see how people would react and respond when they witnessed something. They discovered that the more people there were uh, around the, the situation, the less people tended to respond. If there was just one person who witnessed a certain issue, they responded 85% of the time. But if there were several others, people would only respond 31% of the time. You know, I think that we are the same with people who need the light of the gospel. We assume that somebody else is going to tell them. We really do. You know, we're living, we, we say, when a Christian nation, people ought to know. People don't know. They really don't know. And that, that's hard for us to understand. We're living in a post-Christian nation culture. This is not a Christian culture as, as, we, as I grew up in. People don't know. They need the light of Christ. And let me add to that, in a post-COVID world, people seem to be less caring about that. But here's the thing, the issue and the need hasn't gone away just because the culture has changed and doesn't know about it. Jesus also didn't say the church is the salt of the earth and the church is the light of the world. He says you, individually, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And the burden is fully on you and I. And for those of us who claim to follow Christ, we have a mandate, we have a challenge, we have a commission, the great commission, and that's the light that we're called to share. Without shame, without hesitation, without embarrassment, uh, without reserve. Because Jesus' prayer is that his kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what God wants for the earth, his plan. For it be to be, to be us to be doing kingdom work. So here's the thing. You've got people at work. You've got people on your street. You've got family members, you have acquaintances at the gym, people that, that you know are perhaps one invitation away from coming to hear what Jesus would mean in their life, the difference he would make, the salvation that he would bring, the hope that he brings to the world and to individual lives. Will you be the salt and the light that brings it to them? I mean, it's not enough just to live a Christian life. It, it's, it's important, but it's not just enough. We have to be intentional. We have to reach into people's lives. We have to go and be salt and light, both of which are intentional things. So here's what I want to do in, in wrapping up this morning. First of all, if you have never given your life to Christ, I would love to talk to you about that. I'm not going to force you to do anything. I, I've been around a long time, and I know that people make decisions when God leads their heart. So if God's speaking to you right now, I want to talk to you about that and your next step on your journey. In fact, there's going to be some of us up here uh, at, during the next song, and we would love to talk to you and pray with you about that. But for everyone else who is a believer, I'm going to challenge you because I think this is for us today, and that is to bow your heads and think about people that you care about and that you have influence on. You may be thinking, well, I don't know of anybody that I have influence, but I'm going to tell you, you have more influence than you realize. So I'm going to ask right now just to bow your heads, and I want you to think and pray, God, who are the people in my life 
that I have influence over, that would listen to me? Who are the people that I see every day that I don't consider their faith or their eternity? And God, who are the people that I can be salt and light to? Take a moment and think of that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that touches us deep. The Bible says that it's a sword that pierces the heart. And God, I pray that you will pierce our hearts today. Father, for those of us who may not know you as Father and as uh, Jesus, as Lord and Savior, that God, you would be bringing and drawing us to you through your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray also that those of us who are believers, who often take our faith for granted, and uh, we don't think about the people around us that we love that don't know you and that don't have hope, the hope of eternity and the hope of, of heaven. And Father, you would challenge us to be salt and light in their lives. God, you would bring those people to mind that your Holy Spirit would move us in our thoughts and in the, our intentions, Lord, that we would uh, go out of our way to be salt and light, to influence and to communicate the gospel. Father, thank you for loving us and giving us this precious gift and the hope that we have. And Father, may we share that with others as well. Lord, we love you. We worship you. Help us all to recommit this new year to serving, following you in obedience and faithfulness and impacting others. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.